Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 when your prayer life gets weak you get into the word now why is that so significant it's god breathed so when i open the word of god if i read the word of god i'm reading the words of god Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. When you want to hear from God, all you have to do is read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. It's that simple. So he's in the Word of God, and he's recognizing that that then begins to fuel his prayer. He reads something in the Word that makes him want to go to God in prayer. George Mueller, we talked about his prayer life last week. He prayed for 50 years for the same group of people to be saved. Just after he died, the last one got saved. Listen to what he said. For years, he tried to pray without starting the Bible in the morning. And inevitably, his mind wandered. Then he started with the book, the Bible. And he turned the book into prayer as he read. And for 40 years, he was able to stay focused and powerful in prayer. So Daniel, I believe, was just praying God's word back to him. Someone called this the reverse thunder of God. When God gives us his word, we, we imagine it hits us like thunder. When we pray it back to him, it's the reverse thunder. And so I believe passionately, because the Bible says he was passionate. I believe passionately, Daniel's saying, oh, God, you said after 70 years, you're going to come back and and you're going to restore us. Yes, you said that your servant, think about this, he called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. When God wants to accomplish his purpose, he doesn't care who he uses. And so Daniel's saying, you said your servant was going to come and take us. And and he took us and and the brides were going to be sad. Everybody was going to be sad. It was going to be desolate and all that's happened. But you said after 70 years, you're going to come back and restore us. Oh, God, don't forget us. Let me ask you, if your prayer life is dependent on your familiarity with God's word, how, how impactful are your prayers? So if my premise is right, if powerful prayer starts with the word of God. Do you know enough of the word of God to really pray powerfully? What parts of God's word are you praying back to him today? Are you looking around just moaning and groaning about what's going on in our world? Or are you praying back what God's word says in Second Chronicles? Are you saying, oh God, you've said that if your people, and we know he was talking to Israel, but now we know that we are his people. The church is his people. So God, you've said if your people, we who follow Christ, who are called by your name, we're Christians. If we would humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways and seek your face, then you would hear from heaven and you would heal our land. Oh God, heal our land. Are you praying God's word back to him? Or are you spending all your energy just worrying about who's going to be the next president? How you feel politically? 
what, what your focus is. You say, I, I can't even focus on that because my world's such a mess. I, I don't even know what to do. I, I need wisdom. Well, are you praying God's word back to him from James chapter 1, verse 5, where you say, God, you tell me if anyone needs wisdom, all he has to do is ask you and you'll give it to me generously. Keep your word, Lord. You say, I don't know if I can pray for wisdom because I don't even know which way to go. Are you praying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to him? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. God, I'm trusting you. I don't know where to go, but I'm going to do what you say to do. I'm acknowledging you. I'm giving you my all. Now just show me the way, God, just like you said you're going to do. God is the promise keeper. He will keep his word, but he wants you to remind him of what his word is. You know one of the things I'm praying about? I'm praying about the promise that I told sweet Rosie about who sat right here yesterday as we remember the life of of her husband, Pedro. It's a promise from John 14. I, I quoted to her what Jesus said in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my father's house are, are many mansions. If it weren't so, I, I, I would have not told you so. But it is, and, and so I'm going to prepare a place for you. But here's the good news. Where I go, I, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to be with me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. The word promises that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, who ascended to heaven, he's coming again. So one of the things as a follower of Jesus Christ I need to be praying about is that return of Jesus. God, this world is in a mess. We're filled with sin. We seem hopeless and helpless. Oh, even so now, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I can't pray that stuff if I don't know the word. By the way, what does this tell me about Daniel? It tells me he was burdened about his world. He was burdened about the people around us. Some of you are going to be gathering even this week with friends and family members who are right now headed to an eternity in hell. Are you burdened about them? Are you passionately taking their names to the Father? Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham Bell, said if there's any, any tears in heaven, it will be for all the unanswered prayers that no one bothered to pray. All the time, God wanted to answer our prayers, but we didn't pray for them. Well, notice how this continues. Verse 3, he says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Step one is that I start with the word of God. But step two is that I seek the face of God. If I'm going to pray through Babylon, I've got to seek the face of God. And a lot of us don't take time to do that. We start out seeking the hand of God. We want God to do something for us. And we've not taken time just simply to seek his face. Daniel's prayer was fed by the word of God, but it was led by the worship of God. You know what we call that? It's adoration. It's praising Lord simply for who he is. Notice what he said. He said he's a great and an awesome God. He's a great and an awesome God. Now, I want you to just think about those words for a second, okay? When we go to McDonald's, we go through the drive-thru, 
We get a Big Mac. And what do we say? That was awesome. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's not even beef. You calling it awesome. God, the God of the heavens, created everything that is. In the beginning, God created, is what it says in Genesis. And you know what it says after everything he created? That was good. Heavens and earth, that was good. Light and darkness, huh, that's good. All the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the fowl. Yeah, that's good. We go to McDonald's. That's great. It's awesome. No, I think this meant a little more to Daniel than it does to us. I think Daniel was saying, God, you are great. You are awesome. You are set apart. You are holy. There is none like you. You're worthy of my attention. And even I'm here in Babylon and there's paganism all around me and there's idol worship taking place within my reach. God, I want you to know that you are the one true God. I focus on you. I turn to you. Then he says, you're the God who keeps covenants. He was confident of his covenant with God. His covenant with God, in his case, was in the sacrificial system of the Jews. So he had, I believe, made that covenant as a young child. He lived it out as a teenager when he was taken to Babylon. And then all of these 65 years, now he's 80, he's living out this covenant relationship. So he's praying to God. He's sacrificing to God. We now know that in light of the birth, the life, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus, we've got a different covenant relationship. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that he became the sacrifice for many. He died once for all. So because of the death of Jesus, when I recognize that I need him, when I confess my sins, receive his forgiveness, when I begin that covenant relationship, he promises he never leaves me or he never forsakes me. It's not based on what I do from that point on. It's not based on how I feel. It is a covenant relationship. Do you have that kind of covenant relationship with God? I do. Again, I made that decision as a child. That doesn't mean I've not sinned since then. I've sinned a lot. I've sinned this morning. It just means that when I've sinned, I've always been able to look back to beginning that covenant. And I knew that God, you're not leaving me just because I left you. It's not unlike what we have in marriage, right? That's a covenant relationship. If you don't understand that, you're not going to be happy in marriage. It's a covenant relationship. You might marry someone because you feel a certain way, but one day you're going to wake up and you're stretching, you're opening your eyes, you turn over to that person next to you and you go, ah, what have I done? I've never done that, but Kimberly's done that on multiple occasions. No, you can't make those decisions based on how you feel because your feelings change. You're in a covenant relationship. You say, I promise to love and to honor, to comfort and cherish in sickness and health and poverty and wealth. I'm going to forsake all others. I'm going to keep only to you as long as we both shall live. And that relationship is designed after the covenant relationship that we have with God. And Daniel understood that. He says, you're a covenant God, and then you're a God of steadfast love. So he goes back again after talking about the covenant of God, and he goes back to the character of God. You're a great and mighty God. That's God's character, but then you have steadfast love. 
If it would have been today, I think Daniel would have just broken out and started singing, you're the way maker, you're the miracle worker, you're the promise keeper, you're the light in the darkness. That is who you are, God. Why is that so important? It's important because when you understand the importance of praise, you've understood what God wants. The Bible says that God is enthroned around the praise of his people. Now, I want you just to picture that. You start to praise him. You, you start to say, God, you're awesome. You're great. You're, you're a God of steadfast love. And God's sitting on his throne. And he's saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop it some more. I love this. The Bible says God is a jealous God. He loves it when you tell him how good he is. And that shouldn't be foreign to you because so do you. Made in the image of God, you like it when people tell you how good you are, what they like about you. Yesterday was the birthday of our little Purvis princes. Anaya turned eight years old and we had not gotten far into the day where she said, hey, daddy, are we going to do that thing we do at birthdays? I said, what are you talking about? You know, that thing where everybody stands around you and tells you what they love about you. <laughs> That's a tradition in our home. And I said, yeah, baby, we're going to do that. It was a little complicated because we've got two sons in college, another son working out of town. And, and so yesterday evening after dinner, we gathered around the table with a birthday cake. And thanks to technology, we FaceTimed in Orlando and we FaceTimed in West Palm Beach. And then Luke and Kimberly and I and I sat around our table and we looked into her eyes and we said, hey, here are the things we loved about you. And do you know every time one of her brothers or her mom or dad said, this is something I love about you, her face just began, began to beam with a smile. Why? Because she's made in the image of God and like her God, she likes it when people tell her what they love about them. God wants you to tell him what you love about him. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I was thinking about this and I came across this tool from the navigators and I just want to give it to you. You're not going to be able to jot all these down, but just think about this. This is who God is. He's Jehovah. That means he is who he says he is. He's Jehovah Kadesh, which means he's a God who sanctifies. He's infinite. That means he was, he is, and he evermore shall be. He's omnipotent. That means there's nothing, nothing, nothing he can't do. He is good. That means he is good and he always does good. And he is love because the word says 
He is love. Is there anybody in the church house today? He's Jehovah Jireh, which means he's our God who provides. He's Jehovah Shalom, which means he's the God of peace. He's immutable. Listen to this. That means he doesn't change. He doesn't care who's president or who's king or how the economy is. He's immutable. He's transcendent. That means he's above it all. He's just. That means, oh, yes, he's loving. He is just. He's holy. He's going to have his way. He is holy. He's Jehovah Rapha, which means he's the God who heals. I'm nowhere near stopping. He is self-sufficient. That means though he loves you, he doesn't need you. He can handle it. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's here and he's in China right now. He's in Iran right now. He's all over the world right now. He's merciful. He's loving. He's sovereign. He's Jehovah Nisi. You know what that means? That means he's God, your banner. The banner over you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is love because Jehovah is Jehovah Nisi. He's wise and faithful. He is wrathful. That means that though he's love, he is angered by the sin in your life and my life, yet he's full of grace. He's our comforter. He's El Shaddai. Church, that means he's God Almighty. He's the Father. The church is head. He's our intercessor. He's Adonai, which means he's our master, and he's Elohim, which means he's our strength and our power. If you're awake, would you give him praise in the church house today? The answer to our problems, the answer to our problems are found in his promises and his promises reveal his character. And until the church wakes up and realize no matter how things get in the world, that our God is above it all and he's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our focus. He's worthy of our praise until we understand that and praise him for who he is. We will lack the power of God in our midst. So I would just ask you, I went through a pretty strong list, not exhaustive, but strong. When you pray to God, what are the attributes that come to your mind? Or do you even think about that? Are you so focused on the hand of God meeting your needs that you don't seek the face of God? Through Jeremiah, God had told Daniel and the people of God, and he tells us, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. You want God to show up in your world, then get your eyes off of your stinking problems and turn to his face. You want to pray through Babylon, then start with the word of God. Seek the face of God, and then you see the need for God. See, Daniel's prayer was fed by the word of God. It was led by the worship of God, but it was dependent upon the forgiveness of God. He saw his need. First, he began with adoration. Now he goes to confession, and it's personal and it's corporate. He recognizes he's part of the problem, but the people of God have, have also neglected God. You'll never understand the importance of confession until you see your desperate need. And for over 25 years in ministry, I battled people like us, church people, who would come into a room like this for worship and then get offended when we talk about the need. I remember as a young pastor, the first people that left the church, I pastored because they said, you, you talk about sin too much. I remember here gathering a, a group of people about this time of the year to just encourage those who had lost folks to drunk drivers. And I was given the privilege of sharing the gospel. And as I began to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that he offers, I had to share first the bad news and, and the bad news is that we're sinners. And it came around the next time, the next year for us to do that program again. And, and someone said to me, hey, I had you know that one of the city leaders in the city of Tampa was really offended because they said you talked about sin. 
And I said, I'm offended by sin too. But here's the deal. Unless your name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you're a sinner. And you can't understand the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God and the hope of God until you deal with the sinfulness and the desperation of man. And again, I look for all the reasons why this church, this mass of people, not just here, but in our country, in this world, the millions and millions of people that say they follow Christ. Why are we not the light? Why are we not the salt in this world? May it be that we're not taking seriously our offense to God. And so we're lacking his power. Look at what Daniel says in verse five. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Look down in verse eight. To you, O Lord, belongs open shame. To you, kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law. He's not praying like some of the men that, I grew up with in church when every time they would pray, they would just say, oh, Father, forgive us our many sins. Yeah, it's good you recognize you've got many sins, but you committed them individually. Maybe it's time you start confessing them individually. You go before God and say, I have disobeyed you. I have rebelled against you. I didn't listen. I I didn't listen to the word when I was taught in Bible study. I didn't listen to the word that I was taught in church. I've thumbed my nose at you, God. I've acted as if I could do this on my own. I've not been obedient to your commands. I don't pray. I don't get in the word. I don't give at all to your church. I'm not witnessing. I'm not sharing my faith. Oh, God, forgive me. I've sinned. You want power in your faith as a Christian? Then understand the importance of being real about where you are before a holy God. Daniel is acknowledging we're in the mess we're in because it's a mess we've made. And maybe, maybe today, as you look at your world and you're bemoaning the situation, the mess you're in, maybe you've just, you've got to ask, what part did I have in making this mess? You recognize your desperate need for God. John Piper, in talking about this passage, says there's a difference between feeling miserable because sin has made our life miserable and feeling broken because our sin has offended the holiness of God, has brought reproach on his name. Daniel's confession, biblical confession, is God-centered. The issue is not admitting that we've made our life miserable. The issue is admitting that there's something much, much worse in our misery, namely the offended holiness and the glory of God. Maybe we've lost our influence in the world because we've lost our desperation. We're not even willing, those of us who know the book and profess to believe the book, we're not even willing to deal with our sin. It's a lot easier to point our fingers outside the walls of the church to the sins of others. Greatest problem in our society is not who's in the White House. It's not politics or the economy. It's not racial injustice. It's not crime. The greatest problem in our society is sin. And until we who know that start dealing with it in our life and describing it to the world around us, we'll lack the power of God. We start with the word of God. We seek the face of God. We see the need for God and we confess. And then and only then do we solicit the hand of God. So we have adoration. We have confession. 
And confession is just agreeing with God, what he already knows about our sinfulness. And then we have petition. We're fed by the word of God. We're led by the worship of God. We're dependent on the forgiveness of God. And we're confident in the provision of God. So, so Daniel's not afraid to ask God to do what God said he will do because he's already declared that he's a promise keeper. The ultimate answer to Daniel's prayer would be found in the promise and the person of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That same thing is true for you. The ultimate answer to your prayers is found on the old rugged cross. Because when Jesus mounted that cross of Calvary, he tackled anything and everything that could hurt you, that could bring you down, that could cause you pain. And he defeated that. And so no matter what you encounter in this world, when you look to Jesus, when you recognize that he's the hope, when you realize that he's the answer, regardless of what you face in this world, when you look to Jesus, you have an answer. So turn to him today. Turn to him today. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.